0: go back to Hebrews this morning Hebrews chapter 12 coming coming down really to the end to the end of the book of Hebrews we've uh, we've jumped we've jumped back and forth to a small series here and there as we've been working through Hebrews so we've been in it quite a while pray that it's been helpful to you to get us to see that Christ is better uh, Christ is is, is everything. Christ is the most significant. And then the last two chapters are really application in which we see how that, how that plays itself out, how that looks in a, Christian, in a Christian's life. And so um, we're going to focus on that this morning. Before we do, let's just pray. Um, and then we'll start with our text. Thank you, Lord, for our time that we have together. We pray your blessing upon it. Lord, we pray for those who are home that you would encourage and strengthen their hearts as well and we pray for those who are here lord that you would just uh, allow sweet fellowship that we would be able to encourage each other we'd be able to lift up your name exalt you and um, that you would be glorified in all that takes place please continue to protect us lord from danger um, whether it be the uh, sickness that's going around or, or other dangers that we face in this world. We know that you are sovereign. We know that you are protective of your people. And so we just pray for that protection and uh, we we will give you the glory for it. And Lord, we'll give you the glory either way. We know that you are purposeful in all that you do. And so help us today to learn from your word, if you would, please. And... Um, Transform us into the people you want us to be. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Hebrews chapter number 12, we'll begin reading this morning in verse 3. Read down to verse number 11. The scripture says, Con- Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted in your struggle. Uh, weary or faint-hearted, period. Now, pause. And that word endure there means persevere. It is for the sake of discipline that you have to persevere. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not truly sons. Besides this, we have an earthly father who disciplines us and we respect him. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, earthly fathers, disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he, our heavenly father, disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. For the moment of discipline seems for the moment of all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. We're going to stop there. We're going to make that our breaking point in our text, and then we'll move on next week. The title of this morning's sermon is, Why why is the life of faith so agonizing? Why is the life of faith so agonizing? If we go back to verse Uh, chapter 12 verse one and verse number two the bible tells us that we run the race of life with patience the christian life is to be run with patience and that word race uh, the root word of it is to agonize so we we agonize in life for a purpose there's agony in life there's pain in life there's difficulty in life for a believer for a reason one of the most commonly asked questions Uh, in humanity today is, why do good people suffer? Maybe you've asked this question, maybe you have heard this question asked, and maybe you have tried to answer this question. Why do good people suffer, or why is the life of faith so agonizing? And I think that we could all, we would all agree that at some level the Christian life is agonizing. There's difficulties, there are challenges, there are heartaches and hardships. and, and some of them are, for some people, they're innumerable. You, you, can, you, can, you, you couldn't count them. For other people, there, there are less uh, difficulties and less challenges. So why do good people suffer? Why is the life of faith so agonizing? This is what he's going to answer for us in this passage of Scripture. It is crucial that we answer this question correctly if we're going to be proper witnesses of Christ and if we're going to persevere. Think about it for a moment. If we teach a gospel that does not include the agony of the Christian life, we, we teach a gospel that is, is, is totally um, absent of any struggles or difficulties, what happens is people will come into that, that quote-unquote Christianity and find that that's not really what Christianity is. It is the Matthew 13 principle of people who accept all of these blessings of Christianity but then when trials and tribulation and heartache come what happens to them? They fall away. And they fall away because there was never a, they were never rooted. There was never any depth to their Christianity. They were not true believers. So it's so important that we understand the purpose of agony in the Christian life if we're going to be a proper witness to other people that the Christian life that we're calling, to you, calling you into, the Christ that we're calling you to follow, was not a Christ that did not suffer. And the Christ that we're calling you to follow is a Christ that set an example for how we should suffer. It is absolutely necessary that we, that we understand this theology before we invite people into the Christian life. It is difficult, is it not? It is challenging. It is full of of persecution and heartache. If we don't believe that, we might find ourselves not understanding or believing what the Bible teaches about the gospel. So we have to to understand why is the life of faith so agonizing if we're going to be a proper witness, and we have to understand why is life so agonizing if we're going to persevere Meaning, if we're going to have strength in difficulty, if we're going to stand strong in the face of opposition, we must know why we're going through the opposition if we're going to be able to stand strong in front of it. If we don't get why we're going through what we're going through, we'll not want to go through it. if, If you look at your life and all the struggles that you're going through and see them as accidental, there's no purpose to them, your number one goal is going to be to do what? Just talk to me. Get out of them. Your number one goal is going to be to escape them because they have no purpose and they're just accidents. They just happen to happen. So all I I can focus on in life is getting out of my problems instead of turning my problems into a means by which I grow. And you're not really turning them into a means by which you grow. They are meant to grow you. They are meant to mature you. Recently, I was browsing through a military special forces website. Okay, you might say, Pastor John, why were you browsing through a military special forces website? My answer would be because I was preparing for this message, and that's what you do when you prepare for a message. You browse websites that you don't normally browse. I was browsing through a military forces uh, website. It was a recruiting website, and the first statement, I clicked on the website, and the first statement in big, bold, black letters said, Are you sure you really want to be a part of the Special Forces? Are you sure you really want to be a part of the Special Forces? And then after that, it went on painfully through several pages of information describing the painful routine, the painful uh, uh, practice, the the painful exercises that people have to go to in order to be accepted into the Special Forces. I, I had a friend in Nebraska, he applied for special forces he went to their training camp he made it to what's called hell week if you're familiar with the special forces there's this last week it's called hell week and it's called that for a reason okay it's meant to be a living hell he made it to the last day he sprained his ankle carrying they were they had to carry as a team they had to carry uh, I think it was a boat but it might have been just a large chunk of wood and they were carrying it together and his sprained ankle Prevented him from being able to carry his part, and his team did not. His team did not um, did not support him. They did not carry his load for him. They let him fail. So he made it to the very last day, and he was then kicked out of that because he was not able to prevail to the end. He was not able to make it not just to the last moment. The last moment was the greatest test. The last moment was the greatest challenge. The last moment was the greatest persecution, and in that last moment he fell away and did not have the strength to make it, and they kicked him out of the special forces, and he had to then join another part of the armed forces team. Another place said special force soldiers are not physically, are the most physically fit in the army. If you want to be in the special forces, big, bold, black capital letters, get in shape right? I wouldn't fit. I wouldn't be able to make it in there. Why? Why is this the case? Why is it so important that they be in such good shape? Because these men are going to face wars and enemies and challenges that will press them further than their training does these men are going to face obstacles that are going to press them beyond the training. Meaning that that guy could not carry that big, large piece of wood in training, which meant that he would not be able to carry something bigger than that in actual military combat. It was going to press him further. So the military training is so rigorous as to simulate and prepare the soldiers for what would be the real battle that they would be facing. So it, it was meant to simulate the best that they possibly could. And if you've ever um, studied or read up on those uh, special forces things, their training is just really crazy. I mean, it, it's really out of control. But it is, it is necessary to prepare them to be the people that they need to be for the military uh, situations that they're going to be put in. It's for their good, isn't it? It's for their good, isn't it? So it is in the life of faith. The life of faith is physically, mentally, and emotionally task- tasking, is it not? It is physically, mentally, and emotionally taxing. If an individual is not prepared, they will never win in the challenges that they're going to face in life. They'll, they will never make it to the end. And many people in the Christian life are not prepared because they haven't been through the process of being prepared. They've escaped every challenge of life, and therefore, they're not ready for any new challenges. Do you you guys ever find that you face the same challenges over and over again? Anybody ever find that to be true? And they don't go away, and they don't get easier, they get harder, you ever find that? These are trainings for us, they're tests, they're challenges for us, and, and there's a purpose for those challenges. I'm reminded of Peter. When Peter was, um, when Peter, when Peter was in, his, in, in his last days with Christ, as Christ was going to his crucifixion, there are two things said about Peter the night he would betray Christ. Jesus says to him two things. He says, Peter, he says, the devil is going to attack you. And it's a given, right? The devil is going to attack you. I could say that to everybody in here this morning. The devil is going to attack you, right? And then the next... Then the next thing he says to them to him is this, Peter, your flesh is weak, but your spirit is ready. In other words, Peter, your flesh is not able, but your spirit is able. If you walk in your flesh, you're going to fail. If you walk in the spirit, you're going to succeed. And you guys all know Peter's story. He cuts off uh, the, the soldier's ear named Malchus. He cuts his ear off. He then denies the Lord Jesus Christ three times. This, this guy had a miserable night, didn't he? He had a miserable night, and thank the Lord for his forgiveness and his being able to use Peter in a marvelous way at Pentecost that 3,000 people are saved. And this was all a part of that process. But Peter fails miserably because he wasn't prepared. Agony in the Christian life, troubles in the Christian life, trials in the Christian life are meant by God to prepare us and to equip us for life. This is known as Discipline. This is the thing that we see all throughout our text here is discipline. Nine times in this passage of scripture, you see the term discipline used. The discipline of the Lord. But what does it mean for the Lord to discipline us? What does it mean for the Lord to discipline us? Let me give you some an, an explanation, if you will, of the word discipline. When you think of the word discipline, the, most of us think of punishment, right? I know that that's what I go to. It's like, okay, discipline is when my dad spanked me because I did wrong, and that's what discipline is. And so, so when I think of discipline of the Lord, I'm thinking of, you know, getting a spanking, right? And sometimes it, it includes getting a spanking. Sometimes it includes getting in trouble. But is that the, is that the essence of discipline? Discipline originates from the root word disciple. It is, a, it is the idea of discipleship. The word literally means to train, correct, to mold or perfect somebody mentally or morally. It is a a process that somebody is being put to, to prepare them, to equip them, to mold them into something that they need to be. I think of uh, what the Lord says in Romans 8, that we have been been chosen to be conformed into the image of Christ. And so the discipline that we're going through is discipline that is conforming us. It's, It's molding us. It's perfecting us. It's maturing us into the image of Christ. Okay, so that's the purpose of discipline. Discipline is to mature you, to grow you into the image of Christ. The the text uses four terms to describe it. It uses the word discipline, train, instruct, chase and teach, reprove, chastise, and and then the last word is train. It comes from the Greek word, which is translated in the English language, gymnasium. It's a training. It's a training process. Something that we go through to train and equip ourselves. Or something that we're put through to train or equip us. Equip us. So that's the definition of discipline. Discipline is always meant to be painful. Mark that down. Verse number eleven. Discipline. It says in the immediate is painful. It's always meant to be painful. Discipline is never not going to be difficult. It's always going to be difficult. It's always going to be challenging. So we want to understand that discipline is meant to be painful. Discipline is accomplished by, it says, "...consider him who endured from sinners." Discipline is accomplished by sinners. We say, what do you mean by that? I mean that sinners are the tools by which God disciplines his people. It's hard to understand, isn't it? Isn't it it true that most of our struggles come from people? Most of our challenges come associated with somebody in our life causing us grief? He says in verse number, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't say, well, that, that's, that's abnormal. He says, consider him who, who endured from sinners' hostility. Discipline uh, often comes by God using sinners to bring about that discipline. It's, it's all throughout the Old Testament narratives. is that, uh, hey guys, they're waving at us over there, so we'll, 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 we'll invite them into the church. <laughs> Discipline's always meant to be painful. It's accomplished by sinners and circumstances, and it involves hostility and struggle. He calls it that in verse number three again. He says that you, uh, that uh, endured from sinners such hostility against yourself. And then in verse number four, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of death. So discipline is always associated with sinners, circumstances, and always involves hostility and struggle. Okay? Discipline leads to perseverance. The purpose of discipline is to cause us to be able to persevere. It causes us to be able to get through, right? So we go through something that's a little bit smaller, right? You guys go, when, when you're little kids, do, they, do little kids go through troubles? If they don't learn as a child how to go through that trouble, when they become big kids, what are they going to do with troubles? They're going to be better at it? If they don't learn as a child how to face difficulties and challenges in life, when they become a big child, they're going to be really, really bad at facing difficulties and trials. So what the Lord does is the Lord lets a little kid struggle with how to deal with his toys. Do I share with my buddy or not? Well, that's the same kid that when he's 25 years old doesn't want to share with anybody. So the Lord lets us go through small struggles, small challenges, so that we learn the little things because next month we're going to face a bigger one and then next year we're going to face a bigger one. It's not going to stop, and it's not going to get smaller. Because why? Because the Lord is training us. He's, he's, he's discipling us to be the people that we need to be, and Christ is ultimately the goal of where we need to be. Discipline leads to perseverance. Remember Joseph in Genesis. Joseph was hated by his brothers. He was sold into slavery. He was falsely accused of immorality. He was unjustly thrown into prison he was forgotten by his friends Joseph went through all of this but in the end Joseph says this to his brothers what you meant as evil towards me this is Genesis 50 and verse 20 God meant it for what what you meant as evil towards me God meant it as good what was God doing with Joseph how can being thrown into prison under false accusations be be a good thing how can be accused of sleeping with, you, with your leader's wife be a good thing if it's a false accusation? How can that be a good thing? How can it be good that your brothers hate you and throw you into a, a great pit and lie about you and sell you into slavery? How can that be a good thing? When you consider God in the situation, it can become a good thing. God was preparing Joseph to lead this great deliverance of the Israelite people through Egypt. Had Joseph not gone through all of those things, listen, Joseph would not have been prepared to face the famine that, 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 that the people of Israel faced. Joseph would not have been prepared to stand before the king. It is to prepare us. It is to equip us. It is to, it is to uh, change us into the person that we need to be. Discipline is God's way of preparing his people for challenges and struggles. Like a parent training a child for a life like a coach training an athlete for competition, like a soldier being trained for battle, God is discipling his people to persevere in the faith for his glory and to fulfill his purposes. You're going through the struggles that you're going through today because, listen, next year the struggles are going to be harder. You've got to learn. You've got to grow. You've got to mature today to be able to face what God has for us tomorrow. The promise of Scripture is, that the world is going to wax worse and worse. Things are not going to get easier. They're going to get harder. Jesus is said in verse number three as being the example of witnesses, of, of discipline. Jesus is said to be an example of witnesses of, of discipline. I can get that out right. Jesus is our example, okay? And let me tell you a few things that we learned from that. Number one, he says that therefore, uh, he says, consider him who endured. So Jesus' example is not only to face discipline, but to... Face it with perseverance, with endurance. The word means to stay under, okay? So if you think about perseverance, the word is a compound Greek word. It means to dwell, okay? So right away, you're being told, don't escape. How many of you think Jesus should escape the persecution he was under? Anybody would have liked that he would have escaped the persecution he was under? No, because we would all be lost and on our way to eternal damnation. True or False. We are glad that Jesus Christ stayed under. This is what he is calling us to, to stay under. And don't don't seek to escape. That's what perseverance is. It's don't seek to escape the training that you're in. Don't seek to run. Don't be that special forces soldier that's trying to break out the windows in the morning because he can't take the the struggle that the the routine is causing. Jesus is the example to us to stay under. Stay under, hold, hold up underneath that pressure. He is an example of, of the pain of hostility, uh, the pain of discipline. He is an example of the pain of discipline. Go, go through the life of Christ and know this. You will never face the type of suffering and discipline that he faced. You will never face it. You will never face it. What was it all meant for? It was to prepare him for the cross. Listen to what he says in verse number four. He says, In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted unto the shedding of your blood. I want you to circle, if you have a pen, circle the word yet there. You have not yet resisted, meaning you have not faced the battle at its fullest extent. You have not faced the battle as it will be at some point in time in your life. As in Jesus' life, he faced the battle with temptation to the point in the garden where he faced where he sweats great drops of what? Blood. He faced temptation in such a way as to shed blood out of his skin, as if it were sweat. He says, You have not even faced it yet. And that word yet means that it's it's not getting better, it's getting worse. Jesus is an example of why believers suffer. Note this. Jesus Christ was not discipled as a form of punishment. Jesus Christ was sinless. So when we think of discipline, we cannot always associate it with punishment. Jesus Christ was not punished in his discipline. He is not set forth as an example here of somebody being punished. He's set forth as an example of somebody being disciplined, discipled, prepared, Hebrews chapter number 2 tells us that Jesus Christ was made perfect through suffering. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was made perfect through suffering. And we also will be made perfect through suffering. It's not punishment. It's rather equipping for battle, maturity, and completeness. Let me give you a few other thoughts on discipline, the exhortation to discipline. Number one, discipline is relational. Discipline is relational. He says in verse number five, and do you, have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as, as what? As sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one that he loves and chastens every son whom he has received. It is for discipline that you endure. God is treating you as sons every son endures discipline that's what he says here he says if you do not face discipline you are an illegitimate child meaning you're not a part of the family every child of god is going to be disciplined not punished but disciplined so that they might be mature in christ every child of god discipline is relational God calls those he disciplines his children. Nine times in this text, there is a family a, a family relational term used to describe those who are receiving discipline. Discipline is relational. Discipline is loving. The Bible says that the ones he disciplines, he loves. Discipline is loving. Discipline is relational. Discipline, at the end of verse number six, shows acceptance. Those he has received... If you're being disciplined of the Lord, that means the Lord has received you. That means that you have been accepted by Him. This is a wonderful, wonderful truth. I'm I'm His child, I'm loved by Him, and I've been accepted by Him fully. And how do I know that? Because I'm I'm being disciplined. Wouldn't it be great if it said, I'm being blessed? He says, you know all of that because you're going through discipline. You're going through heartache, you're going through pain, and you're going through it not just because... For no reason you're going through it for the sake of growing that's what he says in verse number seven he says it is for discipline that you are enduring listen if it's not for discipline that you're enduring then these things might not be true if it's for discipline that you are enduring then he's treating you as a son discipline is is relational discipline is is loving discipline shows acceptance discipline is for our good Look down, if you will, in um, verse number 10. For they discipline us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good. Every discipline the Lord brings into our life, note it, is for our good. The contrast here is between a father disciplining and a, and a and God disciplining. The father disciplines as it seems best to him, right? <laughs> doesn't always seem best to you kids, does it? The earthly father disciplines as it seems best, meaning he's he's doing his best to train and mature and prepare you for the future. God disciplines you for your good, just period. Everything that God does in disciplining us and discipling us is for our good. Let's go on. The expectation of discipline. Here's Here's what should result from it. He says, number one, in verse number three, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. The first expectation of discipline is that we may not grow tired. Remember, we're, if the Lord tarries, we're a long way from our destination. And troubles are not going to get lighter, they're going to get harder. That's why he says we haven't battled sin to the point of shedding blood yet. The challenges of life are going to grow. The difficulties of life are going to grow. The the maturing in life is going to get more challenging. And we must accept and embrace this as discipline for God so that we don't grow weary or tired of of that growing process. Listen, you will stop growing and I will stop growing when we're conformed into the image of Christ. And if anybody wants to say that that's fully done in their life, then we'll trade places. And, and you'll do a better job than me because I'm not fully conformed to the image of Christ. None of us are. We are being conformed into the image of Christ right now and it's challenging. It's hard. It's painful. But it's painful for a good reason. It's painful for a purpose that we may not grow weary and tired as life gets more and more challenging. Verse number nine, he says this. Besides this, we have an earthly father who disciplines us And we respected him. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits? And the last two words are "and, and live." In other words, discipline leads to life. That we may live, the Lord disciplines us so that we may live. One of the greatest challenges of the Christian of of life in general is, especially for an unbeliever, is that they are constantly in bondage to things. He says discipline is what will cause you to truly live being set free from these bondages. I'm reminded of what the Scripture says in in Proverbs chapter number 5 and verse 23. It says that they die for lack of discipline. They die for lack of discipline. In this text, it says that they live because of discipline, the discipline of the Lord. They truly live with purpose and promise. They live freely, having been set free from all of the all of the temptations and challenges that the devil can throw at, at us. How many of you guys think Job lived better before he was, went through all of that or after? He lived better after, didn't he? He had been set free. He says at the end of the book, I heard of you with my ears, but now I see you with my eyes. All of that is a result of discipline. It's a result of discipleship. God discipled Job into a man that, could, that would not have recognized the man that's in verse number chapter one and verse one. A whole new man. And yes, it was horrible, horrific what he went through. But that is the discipline of the Lord. God made Job into a Christ-like man. And God is making you and God is making me into Christ-like men and Christ-like women. And it's painful and it's hurtful because we're far from where we need to be. I think one of the greatest challenges that we face as Christians is recognizing that we're far from where we need to be. So when we face pain and we realize that God is actually molding us through a hard moment in our life, he's molding us through some, 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 out of some selfishness or out of some pride, and it's difficult, but we realize how far we are from the goal, we just accept that God is molding us through something difficult right now. Right? Those soldiers, when they go through that, they have to trust that their commander is going to lead them and make them into the people that they can be so that when they get out there to war, they can face it, Right? You know what? You know what a commander that doesn't 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 discipline his person correctly and then that person goes out into battle and gets killed, do you know whose fault it is? Who whose fault is it? It's the commander's fault, isn't it? God is sending us into battle. He's sending us into war. He says that you will be persecuted. You will be afflicted. You will be going into battle against this world and wolves. He says wolves are going to come in and they're going to seek to devour you. The devil is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. This stuff is all coming on us. If our God doesn't prepare us for it and equip us for it, it's in, on him and not on us. And God will not have it on him. He is equipping us. He is preparing us. Why? So that we will not grow weary and so that we will truly live. Life. John 10 and verse 10, "The thief cometh not but for to kill, to steal and to destroy, but I have come that they might have life and that they might have it abundantly." He says, number, four, number three in regard to the expectations of it, that they might share in his holiness. This is an amazing thing that we might share. It means to be a partaker. It's like eating a meal together. You take a piece of the the meal and you pass it to your neighbor and you share of the same thing. The Bible says that discipline is meant so that we might share in his holiness. We might feel, experience, and know experientially the holiness of our God. Discipline is meant to bring us to that place where we can know God's holiness, know what he expects out of us. Know what he is like. We read books like Leviticus and Deuteronomy, and we book we read books like that, and we just we just scan through them because they're just so full of this like crazy stuff, right? And we don't realize that we're being presented with the holiness of our God, full and replete throughout all of those books, is how holy God is, and we miss it. And then we face challenges in life, and we think, why am I going through this? And we don't realize that we have a holy God. And we're far from the holiness that he requires of us. And he's not, he's not punishing us. He's discipling us because we're in war. The reality of it is we're not necessarily in war against other people, although they're, they're tools that he, the devil uses. Who are we ultimately in war with? We're ultimately in war with the devil. And, we're, and, our, and our greatest enemy happens to be self. And that's why life gets difficult. The Lord is freeing us from ourselves. He uses the same terminology in Philippians 3 and verse 10. The Apostle Paul says that I might know him in the power of his resurrection and might share in his suffering, becoming like him in his death. Pretty crazy, isn't it? That was the Apostle Paul's Paul's prayer. That I might share in the sufferings of Christ. That I might fulfill, another text says, that I might fulfill the sufferings of Christ. Our attitude is, is that I might escape the sufferings of Christ. The last thing that he says in verse number ten is that we might bear fruit, for they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we should share in his holiness. For the moment, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it is, it is, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. If you have a pen and you want to circle something, circle the word later. When is later? It's like you know they say tomorrow never comes. Did you know that that's true? Tomorrow never comes, and later never comes. Why? Because we're constantly being matured into the image of Christ. We're constantly being worked through difficulties and challenges, and the Lord is saying, get better at this, because it's going to get harder, not easier. We we face these things. This this church has faced many different challenges and, and heartaches and pressures, and the Lord is saying, get better at it. Get better at it. Don't don't fall apart when the pressures come. Get better at it. Mature in this area because there's going to be greater pressures and greater heartache coming that we might produce fruit. 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you must be grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith which is more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is the expectation of the the discipleship that we're going through. So that when we end, we end glorifying God. Think about what it says in 1 Corinthians 1. He says that God has chosen the weak things of the world, the the insignificant things, the ignorant things, and I'm paraphrasing, but he says this, so that no flesh will glory in his presence, but those who glory will glory in the, what's the next word? Will glory in the Lord. When we stand before God, there will be nothing in our flesh to say, look at me, Lord, and everything in the spirit to say, look at you, Lord. How does that happen? There's only one way that that happens, and that is through discipline. It is through discipleship. It is through heartache and pain. It is not through ease. Lastly, experiencing discipline. What should our attitude be towards this discipline? Number one, verse number three, consider Christ. It it is just look at Jesus. Look at his suffering, sinless suffering. So you don't have to look at discipline as punishment. It's not what it was. You look at sinless suffering. Jesus was sinlessly suffering throughout his life. Not just in his crucifixion, we know that that was substitutionary payment for sins. That was punishment for our sins. I'm talking about the suffering that he faced throughout life. The rejection, the false accusations. Everything that Jesus went through was an example to us of how we ought to go through life as well. It was discipline, preparing him to face the cross in his humanity. Look at Jesus, look at his suffering, look at his sinless suffering, look at the amount of his suffering, look at the difficulty of his suffering, the, the pain of his suffering, the, 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 the lying, the false accusations. We would all crumble under that, right? Somebody goes around and shows, shows, sends out a lie about us that this, Jesus is an insurrectionist. He's trying to undermine the government, right? And Jesus doesn't answer back a word. You know what we would be like? No, that's not true. No, we would defend ourselves greatly to try to protect ourselves from people thinking ill of us. Jesus did not do that. He suffered lies. He suffered abuse. He suffered hatred and pain. He suffered people talking about him behind his back, lying about him. Jesus went through all of this as a part of his discipleship. So then when he hung on that cross, he could hang on that cross and say, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. You don't get to that point without some suffering in your life. You don't get to that place in your life unless you go through some pain and you learn to deal with it right. Consider Jesus. Look at how much he suffered. Look at his sinless suffering. And look at how he suffered persevering. Enduring. Number two is persevere. Remain faithful under the pressure. The Bible says in First Corinthians four two, it is required of a steward that a man be found faithful. Be found faithful. For James one two through four says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various trials, for you know that the testing of your faith produces patience, and patience, and patience. Get this, the same word for perseverance, and per- perseverance. When it has its full effect, okay, get this. When perseverance has its full effect, you, you will be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Isn't that great? When perseverance has its full effect, you will be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. This is what our Lord went through. This is what we, went to, we, need, to, we need to learn to embrace. And the last thought is this, submission, submission. In verse, he says in verse, number, in verse number 10, For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best for them, but he disciplines us for our good. And in verse number 9, Besides this, we have an earthly father who disciplines us, and we respected him. Shall we not much more be subject? The word subject there means to submit. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits? Now, what does that mean? Here's what he's doing. He's drawing a parallel between father of our flesh and father of our spirit. In other words, our fleshly father knows how to discipline us to get out of us what we need. he needs out of us in the flesh. How much more should we trust God who knows the spiritual realm more than anybody else knows? He knows our hearts. He knows what matters. How much more should we trust him? If we submit to our physical fathers when they disciple us, shall we not much more submit to our heavenly father when he disciples us? Our physical Father disciples us for physical results. Our Heavenly Father disciples us for spiritual results. He's transforming us into the, into the image of Christ. In the midst of discipline, which is often painful and trying, it is crucial, it is crucial, it is necessary that we trust God's sovereign hand and we trust God's good heart. When we're going through difficulty, we must believe we are facing difficulty as a culture today and it's impacting God's church. When we face this difficulty, we must know, number one, that God is absolutely sovereign. Is he not? And he is absolutely good. Is he not? Romans eight twenty-eight. for we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. If we don't, When we face these growing tests, we will retreat. We will retreat. We will run as fast and as hard as we can from these tests. We will retreat from God's discipline in our life and we will not grow. And listen to me. The challenge of Hebrews 12 is not people running away from discipline and then making it into heaven one day. The challenge of Hebrews 12 is people running away from discipline and not getting into heaven one day. And I'm not saying that people, I'm saying what the scripture says here is simply this, that people who run away from discipline may have never come to Christ for who Christ really is. I'm not saying that you lose, you cannot lose your salvation. I am saying this, that somebody who has been brought into salvation is also going to be equipped by God to face the difficulties of life. The idea in the Bible of retreating at the last minute carries with it the idea of not getting into God's kingdom. And these are warnings all throughout Scripture of persevering to the end. Matthew 24 says those who persevere to the end will be in the kingdom. We know that God is sovereign over our salvation. We know that he has us and will keep us. It doesn't take away the fact that he gives us instructions and means by which we reach the goal. Somebody once said that God is not only sovereign of the end, but he's also sovereign of the way that we get there. Right? He's not only sovereign over over where we get, he's sovereign over how we get there. Listen to these verses. I want to close with this. Stay in, go to Hebrews. uh, Stay in chapter number 12. I'm going to give you a preview of what's coming up because this is so important to this message. The Bible says in Luke 18, verse 8, I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Lord, when the Son of Man returns... He says, will he find any faith on the earth? When Christ returns, the question is this. Will he find any, any Hebrews 11 faith on the earth? We just went through Hebrews 11. Will he find any Hebrews 11 faith on the earth? And I'll tell you something. What we're going through right now is a test of Hebrews 11 faith. It is. It is a test of Hebrews 11 faith. And listen to me, the church cannot crumble under this test. And I'm talking about the physical test. I'm talking about the test that our culture is facing. All of the tests, we're going through a lot of tests right now. If we crumble under this test, we will not be fit for the next test. Listen to me, this is what God says. The end of this chapter... He says, verse 25, that you may not refuse him who is speaking, for if they do not escape when they refused him who has warned them on earth, much less will they escape if they reject him who warns them from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised. The Lord shook the earth once, right? Watch this. But now he has promised, yet once more I will, I will not only shake the earth, but I will also shake the heavens. This is a picture of Mount Sinai when the Lord shook the earth. They could not even touch Mount Sinai without being killed. Even if an animal touched Mount Sinai, they had to be stoned immediately. Just Moses and Aaron were allowed to go up and to speak to God. This was a holy moment where God God shakes the earth. Watch this. He gives us a prophecy into the future. He says, "Yet, yet once more, I will shake the earth again but not only the earth, I will shake the heavens. Meaning that we are looking forward to a shaking that we cannot imagine. This is a literal, little shaking that we're experiencing right now. We're experiencing a small earthquake right now. And the small earthquake is meant to get us prepared for the 1989 earthquake. Right? Is that the right year? That's what the Lord is doing for us. He is going to shake the earth and the heavens again. He's going to say this, this phrase yet once more indicates the removal of things that are shaken. In other words, he says he's going to shake the earth and the heavens, and those things that are shakable, he's going to remove. Are you unshakable? Are you unshakable? He says in 1 Corinthians 15, Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Are you unshakable? Because the Lord is going to shake the heavens and he's going to shake the earth and his purpose is going to be remove all things that are shakable. That is, he says, things that have been made in order that things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be graceful, grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Where is that kingdom? It is in you. If you are a follower of Christ, the Bible says that the kingdom is in you and that kingdom cannot be shaken. This is a shaking world right now, is it not? But listen to me, the kingdom of Christ cannot be shaken. We must be unshakable. We must be unshakable. The world is going to be shaken in a horrific way. If we can't stand firm, if our feet cannot be settled in concrete in this shaking, how will it be in the shakings that come in the future? Imagine a day when the when things get so bad and this man comes on the scene and says, "Hey, listen, there's this number, it's 666. If you don't get it, you will have no ability to buy or sell or get any medical treatment anymore." Who's not buying that? Who's not getting that number on their forehead or their hand? Seriously, if we cannot be not shaken in this simple moment that we're going through, how will we not be shaken if the Lord allows us to go through that? And I'm not saying he's going to, but I'm saying this. We need to be stable people, unmovable. We must embrace that God is putting us through these difficulties to make us into those stable people, to root our feet in concrete so that when he shakes the earth, his kingdom will not be shaken his people will not be shaken. And then he says at the end, and let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. My challenge to us this morning is, is God has a purpose for our suffering. God is putting us through things, God is allowing us to go through things, he's orchestrating things, he's allowing things, he's he's molding us into the people that he wants us to be, he's stabilizing us, why? Because the world is gonna be shaken. He's given us these little tests along the way to just prepare us. The question that we have to face is, is, do I believe that? Am I willing to submit to that reality that God is preparing me so that if I go through troubles now, I can face them? As the Apostle Paul says when he was given an infirmity in the flesh, the Bible says, so that he would not become proud, right? The Apostle Paul prayed three times, Lord, take this away from me. Then he said this, I will glory in it. I will glory in it because it made him stable. It made him humble. That is my challenge to you this morning, my challenge to us. Why do we suffer? We suffer because God has a purpose. God has a plan. He's molding us into what he wants us to be. He loves us. We're his children. He has accepted us. That's what it's all about. That's what this is all about. And let us embrace what we go through so that we might become more stable for his glory. Let's pray together. Thank you so much, Lord. For this time thank you for your word thank you for this warning thank you for the thank you lord god for the little shakings that you bring into our lives that we can learn and be prepared and equipped because one day it's going to shake hard it's going to shake heavy the earth is going to crumble those who are those who are not stable in the gospel of christ in the person of christ in the suffering of christ in the discipleship of christ those who are not stable in that will not stand in the face of this suffering but Lord God, help us as your people to embrace embrace the discipleship that we're going through. Embrace the discipline that we might be prepared to face even greater struggles. Satan wants to destroy us, Lord God. But you are preparing and equipping us for your kingdom. We pray that you would be with us today. Glorify yourself in us, and us in Jesus Christ's name.